Welcome back to Three Things. Our guest today is ESPN commentator and former basketball star Jay Billis. Jay won a national championship when he played for Duke back in the 80s, and today he's one of the most outspoken critics of the NCAA because they do not pay college athletes, while coaches make millions and the industry makes billions. This is the second time Jay's been on the show. Today he and Rick talk a little bit about life and a lot about basketball. Be sure to also check out his earlier episode from April 2019 to hear Jay's unique approach to parenting and the best advice he ever got from Coach K. This is Three Things with Jay Billis. I am super excited about having Jay back in uh, on our podcast. Jay was with us uh, April 2019, and and I'm just pumped that you're back. So thank you for, for being here. Rick, thanks for having me. It's always a pleasure to be with you. So a lot has changed in three years. It seemed like nothing changed for 30 years, and then it seems like everything is changing. And it, it kind of feels like it's still really early, and a lot of these things are unsettled. For those who keep reading about the NIL and portals and all this stuff. Give us a basic, what's happening? What What is the seismic change happening in the system and, and what has opened it up? And let's dig in into it. Well, for, for uh, over 100 years, college sports was governed by something called the principle of amateurism. Mm. So athletes were supposed to be amateur, mm. that they received no remuneration for their athletic talents beyond a scholarship. And actually, when college sports first started, you weren't even allowed a scholarship. But the NCAA changed that when the more expensive schools were losing players because they, it cost more to go there. As the business grew and revenues went up, the chasm between amateurism and the professionalization of, of, of college sports became impossible to ignore. And players... And those on, you know, those representing players started mm -hmm. to say, pound on the table and say, wait a minute, this isn't fair. We want more. And they started to go through the legal system. But the schools won and they could cut their own media deals. So 85, 86, 87, there was a little bit of chaos as to how are schools going to do this? Are they individually going to sell their rights? Uh, are they going to pull them together by conference? How's it going to, is the NCAA going to do it? College football started is something called the College Football Association, CFA. So that sort of represented football and took all the revenue from football away from the NCAA office. So no football dollars really? from 1984 to now flow through the NCAA office. Not one nickel. Not one. The only revenue that the NCAA office has is the NCAA basketball tournament, which makes over a billion dollars a year in media rights. So all the money that's generated... The conferences cut their own deals. Notre Dame has their own yeah, deal right, with NBC. Right. And that was really the, the, the shift in college sports where it went from into a multi-billion dollar industry. A few years ago, um, might be six, seven years ago now, Ed O'Bannon sued the NCAA for his, his name, image, and likeness right. because of these video games yes. that were being used. And I was actually the voice of one of those games. What year was this? This was probably in 2000. 12, 13. Okay. That's about when it started. I can't remember the, the, the year that, uh, that the uh, Ninth Circuit ruled on it. Yeah. But O'Bannon won. And, uh, and then there was something called the Alston case where uh, athletes were suing over academic benefits. And they wanted to be able to have the schools to be able to give them laptops and paid internships and do, you know, these yeah. other things that were, there shouldn't have been a cap on that on the academic side. They weren't asking for pay. 
the players weren't asking for pay in that lawsuit. Yeah. They were just asking for academic, uh, you know, take the restrictions off what they could benefit from on the academic side. And the NCAA lost, so they had to, you know, it was a Ninth Circuit case in the federal system that, that went to an appeal, and the NCAA lost. So they lost. Now they have to allow laptops and internships. Well, that wasn't good enough for the NCAA, so they petitioned the Supreme Court and got crushed. Mm. And the Supreme Court went so far in a concurring opinion by Justice Kavanaugh to say, in any other business, this the way the NCAA acts would be illegal. And and that sent a really stern message across the system. So now we we have something called name, image, and likeness rights. So the mm. players can go out and cut their own, uh, they can do commercials, they can endorse products, they can write books, they can give lessons in their sport, uh, they can appear publicly and sign autographs for money, they can do speaking engagements, all that. that that's what the NCAA kind of thought or intended this to be, that all this stuff, all the money that you can earn as a player while you're enrolled in school would be outside of the institution. Mm. Well, that's not what the schools want. Like the schools want talent and they're willing to pay for it. They can't pay for it directly. So up have popped these things called collectives. Mm. So are they're they legal. Th they are legal, but they're not they're, they're, the, the NCAA rules say that you can't pay a player to come to school or stay in school, it, like pay to play. So yeah. you can't have pay to play. Yeah. But what these collectives are doing, they're 501c3 corporations, the, the overwhelming majority of them. Huh. So they have a charitable purpose. And so essentially what's happening is a coach will tell the collective, that's the player I want. It's going to cost $400,000 a year to get him. Collective deals with the player, the player family or, or agent, and they cut a deal. And so to get that 400000 a year, the player is going to have to make 10 charity appearances, work in a soup kitchen for an hour, $40,000. And they spread it out over the course of the year. So the player is going to be retained. Yeah. And it's a quid pro quo, so yeah. the player has to do something. It's not like a no-show job. Yeah. Uh, and that's how it's working now. But eventually, in my view, it's going to get to a point where the schools are going to say, look, this is stupid. The easiest thing for us to do is just sign the players to contracts. And people say, well, there has to be a limit to it. Uh, what, what's the limit on what a player can be paid? Because there's a limit in the NBA. They say there's a salary cap. Yeah. Yeah, but the salary cap is negotiated with the players. It's collectively bargained. Yeah, yeah. And one thing that people seem to forget is there are also salary minimums yeah, in the yeah, NBA. Yeah, yeah. Like there's a minimum That's salary. True. That's true. And and so and the players get half the basketball related revenue. So they're they're making billions of dollars right, spread out right. over the league. Um, college doesn't want to like the players in college right now are making pennies relative to what they're worth right pennies right and as this evolves and as you know because nobody's going to stop playing like ohio state is not going to say okay we'll go division two and we'll play amherst at the shoe for no <laughs> you know no admission and or free admission and no television they're not going to do that right um so we're going to see this continue to evolve and the players are going to get even more as we go forward so there's three parties in basketball it's the ncaa the schools and the players mm -hmm. And if looks like, if I understanding, the power has been the NCAA has controlled the biggest budget, which is a tournament. The schools have controlled a lot of the entertainment side of the business, right? And then they get donors and they get endowments right. and all this kind of stuff. And the players have never really participated. And you view that kind of getting inverted? 
Well, it'll continue that way. I mean, you know, the NCAA office is essentially all the schools banding together to make their own rules together. So there are some people that say the schools are the NCAA. Um, Do you think that? Well, yes. I mean, they they do band together. So they're, they're essentially one big cartel. Right. And, and I mean, and they've been ruled that by courts. Uh, they, they like to think of themselves as a benevolent cartel, but I can't think of any other business that says, you know, that our is... employees work for free and we're all going to agree that they work for free. You know, I made this point. That is so interesting. Uh, I made this point to a, uh, a, a, a group of alum alumni of a particular school one time. I said, like, look, if if these colleges, they all have drama departments, if they decided that they were going to run um, Broadway caliber shows on their campuses and do original content that they could sell to Netflix. And it would be university run uh, with students uh, participating as, as actors and writers and directors and all that stuff. But the schools decided we're not going to pay anybody. Right. Like they're doing this for their love of, of drama and writing and all they're doing it because they love it. They're students. What do you think their parents would think if the, the, it's a multi-billion dollar business that's being run off the campus? Yeah. They go, you're paying my kid. Yeah. Like, wait a minute now. Yeah. Right. But, but athletics, we've, we've gone along with this for so long. I do think the most people now, um, agree that the players should benefit. Yeah. It's just so new. They're like, well, what are the rules going to be? Like, why did that? What are the rules for everybody else? You know, they call it the wild, wild west. Now the coach is saying the wild, wild west. It's the wild, wild west out there. I go, you mean the wild, wild west that the rest of us live in? Because no, nobody <laughs> market system. Yeah, nobody's telling us what 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 we're yeah. what our limits are, and yeah. you know we we seem Here's to. Some information. They know exactly. All these schools know exactly whom to recruit and exactly whom to put in the game when they want to win. They know what the players are worth. It'll normalize. Ten years from now, what does this look like? I think we'll have. I think it'll largely look the same. So collectives go away. Collectives probably. I think what'll happen is is the business, everybody will realize that the most efficient way to do this is sign the players to contracts. Mm. That rather than just sign them to a, a you know sign a national letter of intent and sign them to scholarship mm. papers and all that stuff, mm. uh, healthcare, all the stuff that that they can they can sign now. They just signed a contract that includes all those things and, and more. And then the parties, you know, the parties know exactly what their obligations are. There are there any rules in that world? The max you can offer somebody? And I doubt it. Right. I, I, same thing as in anything else. I mean, if they if they want to have a max, right, they're going to have to negotiate that collectively with the players, and they don't have to have a union. You can right. do it like a trade association. Yeah, that's true. Um, it, it doesn't necessarily need to be a union thing because there are different state laws with regard to unionization. Tommy Amaker will be very happy because Harvard has the biggest endowment. He can yeah. win that race. <laughs> I do think, what to your 10-year question, I do think in a decade we'll see a contraction of college sports and the big shots will split away and form their own thing. Whether it's under the NCAA umbrella, they'll have a different division at least, right, right. if not break off themselves. And that'll be really healthy for college sports, I think, because, you know, I, I don't I don't know how you feel about it, but I, I think it's foolish to believe that there are 354 Division One basketball teams that are competitive with one another. Yeah. So if you took 150 of them, the top 150, that, that really pour resources into it and can compete, and that's the top division. Every good player is going to want to play in the top division. So you're going to have more talent yeah. spread out over fewer units. 
Yeah. And it's going to, you're going to have deeper teams that can absorb transfers, guys leaving early, things like that. Uh, just like we have in football, like, right. like every good football player wants to play um, in, in the power five. But de facto universities will get into running a version of pro sports. I think it was pro anyway. Um, yeah. It was just pro with a, a with a wage restriction on the players yeah. because there's no there's no spending cap in yeah, any other true. area. So really, there, there's and all these schools have that's pro true. people on their campuses. They're they're pro marketing people. They they bring them from the pro leagues. Uh, coaches are, are coaching. They coach in the NFL now. They're coaching in college. That's true. Uh, it's pro in every way. The staffs of like the Alabama football staff. I've been there. It's remarkable. Yeah, I mean, it, you know, it, it's like NASA and uh, uh, the, the analytics stuff they do. Right. I mean, there are people running around. They've got five chefs. I mean, it's absurd what they're doing. I don't have a problem with it. I don't have a problem with how much Saban makes. I've just had a problem with you can't do all this stuff and tell the players, well, you know, be grateful for your scholarship. And if you take a sandwich at a local eatery, you're in trouble. Um, th those days had to end and they ended they ended quickly but we haven't adjusted to the new reality as quickly as, as we should. And, and they'll adjust pretty quick, though. If, yeah, if yeah. you're losing talent, if somebody's got a collective and they're getting more players than you are, you're going to have a collective yeah. pretty soon. Isn't this ultimately the boosters become the GMs? That's exactly. That's funny you say that because, so as you know better than anybody, you want to be a NFL or NBA owner, you got to be a billionaire. Yeah. You can have owner. You, you can feel like you have ownership in a college team and, oh, and sure. have a lot less money and be. You, you know, can decide who plays. You can decide who coaches. You can decide. You can. You, know. you can. You can feel like you do, um, and but the schools are are in a panic is the wrong word, but they're concerned that you know boosters used to give their money to the school, <laughs> so now they're going to say, well, wait a minute, I was giving you a million a year. I'll give you five hundred thousand. I'm going to put the other five hundred thousand in this collective, so we can get better players. Yeah. And they're gonna, and the schools are going. Wait a minute, that's our money. Yeah. You know, they think it's their money. No, that's right. That's right. And uh, and so they got to wrap their heads around that one too, and how this is going to work, how much involvement they could have early on. What happens to all the other sports that get funded by this in colleges? I don't think they go away. That that's the concern mm. is that things are you know because we're going to pour more money into football. Uh, that you know, women's gymnastics is going to go away. The wrestling program is going to go away. Yeah. We never say that when coaches make a ton of money or they build these gigantic facilities. True. The the as you know, it's not a zero sum game, mm -hmm. and college sports tries to present it to the public as where's the money going to come from when the revenues keep going up and they have more money. Mm -hmm. um, so the the Big Ten is about to sign a, a new media rights deal in the next couple of months. Mm -hmm. Uh, it, it's reported to be over a billion dollars a year going to the Big Ten. No. Yeah, it's going to be a billion dollars. From what? From what to what? Uh, I don't know what they're making now, whether it's 700 million or whatever, yeah. but right. they'll be making over a billion. So that's an extra two, 300 million they'll have right. to play around with. And that's going to be 80, whatever it is, 80 plus million per school per year. Uh, if you can't run your athletic department on that, and that's just media right, right, rights, right, right, right. there are other there are other revenue streams that they have, including what they get from the NCAA tournament, from the NCAA, uh, what they make on ticket sales, all these other things that they do. Um, there, there's a lot of money, uh, and and as you know, 
in today's media landscape, there's nothing more valuable than live sports. Right. That's and the only so, thing that matters. Yeah, college football, college basketball are going to continue to be huge revenue streams. This reminds me, though, a little bit of the salary caps for rookies in the NBA mm -hmm. when they it was out of control and they, they had to figure out a way. This this will be the Wild West for a while then. It will be. It, it'll be... It'll be interesting to see everybody navigate it. Mm -hmm. They'll figure it out pretty quick mm -hmm. because you know years ago, the the narrative from the the big shots in college sports was well we can't have a college football playoff. Mm -hmm. I mean it's too difficult and the bowl mm -hmm. system and all that stuff. And when when they found out if they took four teams they could make a billion dollars right the first year they figured it out pretty quick. Very quick. And they'll figure this out. I'm I'm confident of that. This is super interesting because right now the I, I my gut says the university endowments are the losers. Uh, you, you mentioned the million dollar person a year donor or whatever. What's going to happen? A lot of this money are going to go into the players and into the the programs because that's what generates revenue today. Is kind of behind the scenes. Yeah, and it'll be interesting how they how they do that. I mean, part of the part of the issue that we've been facing is these. These athletic departments are separate entities from the university. So the the school, you know, the the school will say you'll hear people in college sports saying, "Well, That's you know, true. we don't have any money." Well, what's your biggest expense? Well, our biggest expense is scholarships. Well, where does that money go? Well, we pay it to the school. So one arm of the school is they're moving all this money from one bank account on campus to another one. Yeah. So they're really not out of nickel. But then the athletic department says, "Well, we're broke." Because look at look at what yeah, we're paying. Yeah, okay. um, but it, you know, it it's used to be that the schools paid for what they thought was important. So if they thought it was important to have a fencing team or a water polo team, they paid for it. And now, now they're saying, well, football has to pay. Football and basketball have to pay for it. So really, what they're saying is to the players, you guys can't be paid because other other uh, sports have to exist. So they're they're they exist based upon your not being compensated you're like no because you're not paying coaches the coaches don't have to deal with that they're not saying no. well wait a minute you know your big salary means we can't pay these other coaches you know, they, no, no, it's no. A, a total fallacy and it's an accounting so, game you could argue that the college game should get a lot better because the overtime elites the g leagues all those things either a lot of more money is going to have to go into them or the players are going to be like you know oscar I, I can make money in college. Right. Yeah, Oscar I can, I can make a couple, you know, a exactly. couple million bucks. And, you know, if, if there's a donor who's willing to put it in a collective and say, hey, so a lot of the product itself may get a lot better. I think the product will get better. Um, I'm not sure how much the public will notice that. Um, but because, you know, I, I found that most most fans don't know the difference between a good game and a close game. As long as it's a close game, they're happy with it. But but what what'll happen, like what I think will happen is, is is exactly what you're saying, is that, you know, the the it's no longer making a decision to go pro, money or not. Now it's how much am I making wherever I'm gonna go. So a player like Oscar Shibway is probably be a second round pick, even though he's national player of the year. Um, saying, wait a minute, I make a ton in college. I'm having a good time. Uh, yeah, I can get yeah, my yeah. degree. So the way I look at it, the colleges, if if educators believe the best place for a young adult to be is in college, right? and making some money will keep players in college, right. and by you know, as a result, they'll become better educated. Isn't that a win 
for what they do? 100%. I would think it is. 100%. But that's not the way they're looking at it. But think, think about it. If there's 30 NBA teams at $100 million each a salary, you know, you have $3 billion. It'll be interesting 10 years from now how much money is spent on basketball as a salary, right? If you then yeah. collectively look at everything. And it's just a flow of money to entertainment. Yeah, we're saying those are the, the that's those are the rights that have the most value. I will be worried as a sports as a as a as a as a pro league, college sports will become much more of a competitive a competitor. Yeah, I think that's it'll be a little bit more competitive. Um, but I think that actually benefits the the pros to get. Um, I think having all this young talent in basketball shooting in early has not necessarily been good for the league. It's been good in certain yeah, that's instances. Fair. That's fair. Uh, but they've be, there's been more of a developmental component in basketball that, that they've had to deal but with. But it's basic math, too, and it's entertainment. It's hours in the day. If mm-hmm. A lot more people are now are spending a lot more of their capital buying other types of entertainment. could be packages yes. on TV or it could be anything else. It's, it's less money. Because you know, right now, the pro leagues have a monopoly to some extent on kind of paying the players. Yes, and, and look, college isn't going to be able to pay, at least in the short run, anywhere near what the NBA can pay or the NFL. No, that's true. But, um, but you won't see as many players going to the G League or Overtime Elite if they can make the same or more in college. You'll see them there. And I do think having players in college benefits the NBA yeah. because they're right. getting a, a better marketed player. And that's true. arguably a more that's mature true. player that's been – um, you know, in an educational system, yeah. um, you know, I, 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 I tend to think that will be better in the long yeah. run, but yeah. you know, to me, it's just, it's always been just a question of fundamental fairness that, yeah. um, you. you know, how can we look at, how can we look at ourselves in the mirror and say, we're doing right by these players when, when, yeah. you know, they're getting pilloried if they, yeah. they took a few bucks from somebody. I mean, um, and, and it, it's pretty rare. I think, I think it'd be pretty rare to be with uh, with somebody from my era, mm. and if they were under oath, say, were you really eligible? I don't think anybody could say they were. Mm. That somebody took something somewhere. Mm. Um, yeah, right, right. And and you know, we we tend to look back on it as so pure back then. It really wasn't. Guys sold their tickets. They got car <laughs> deals. It happened all the time. Right, right. And and it'd be really hard to find somebody that that didn't have that. Uh, this is so fascinating. So so speaking of fairness, transfer portal. Mm-hmm. What's your view on it? Uh, is it how's it working? What needs to change? It's another area where the NCAA was incredibly flat-footed. Uh, so I'm not sure how many people that follow college sports really know this. So it it, it for a long time, uh, when a player transferred, that player would have to sit out a year mm-hmm. before being eligible mm-hmm. to play. Mm-hmm. That only applied to five sports: football men's and women's basketball, baseball, and hockey. Every other sport could transfer and be eligible right away. People didn't know that. Just out of... Yeah, it wasn't based... So the transfer restriction wasn't based on any principle. And they called it a year in residence. And the the narrative was, when you transfer, you need to acclimate yourself to the new school, get academic, all this stuff. But then they've got freshman eligibility. So a kid coming out of high school doesn't need to acclimate himself he can play right away right right right. Or he or she so what why would uh why would a it's transfer crazy. who has college experience have to sit out then the ncaa wanted to try to tie the transfer restriction to an academic reason and they poured through all the data they could to try to find a, a reason to keep the transfer and they couldn't find one 
transfers did just as well, if not better, than students that didn't transfer. So you know they graduated at, at the same or better rate. So there's no principle to rely upon. And the NCAA is getting killed in court while they're fighting over money by the transfer restriction. Because the transfer restriction in those five sports worked much like a non-compete provision in an employment contract. Right, which, and they're not employees. Yeah. So they oh, gave up on it. Yeah, they gave up on it and put this transfer portal in. So old school coaches will say, this is ridiculous. You know, we can't manage our rosters. Any player that doesn't get enough shots or any first sign of adversity, they, they leave. Right. I don't think that's true. It may be true in certain instances. Yeah. But what we've seen, we've seen a lot of what, what you would call up transfers where, say, a guy's killing it at Cleveland State yeah. and was under-recruited and says, I'm better than Cleveland State. I'm going to Michigan State and play on a bigger stage and go to yeah. the Final Four, all that. So we have those that have been, there have been tremendous success stories there. And then we have down transfers where the guys at Michigan State not playing that much going, I'm going to go to Davidson or I'm going to go to, I'm going to go to Cleveland State yeah. and I'll be a star there. Um, it, it, I, the players now are using it for leverage. Mm. So now they'll go into the portal where they can be recruited by other places, but they can also be re-recruited by their school. Initially, can they come back. Is they there can any come back. Oh, they can no restrictions. They don't lose their scholarship. No. Like, well, they 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 by you're renouncing your scholarship by going into the portal. Okay. So a lot of coaches were telling their players, "You go into the portal. You're not coming back here." Like they they wanted to make it seem yeah. like, hey, you know, it's it's like a, it's like you know if your yeah, 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 yeah. if your girlfriend goes on a date with somebody, like, hey, you're not <laughs> I'm not going out with you again. <laughs> we're uh, you know that kind of thing. So they they felt like that could be some kind of a deterrent. Um, now with, with NIL and yeah. these collectives, you can go into the portal. Like, like, a, th there's a kid at Miami, Isaiah Wong. Yeah. 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 So Miami had recruited a kid yeah. from Kansas state yeah. named Nigel pack. He was reported to get 400 a year. And then Isaiah Wong's going, I just took you to the lead eight. I'm, I'm worth at least that. Yeah. So if I don't get what, at least that I'm going into the portal, uh, he goes into the portal. Yeah. He can stay, go, whatever, but it provides him some leverage to say, Just are you going to step up to the plate or not? Right. Uh, the coaches don't like it because they've, they've never had to deal with it before, so it's new. Right. Um, but it's just a leverage point for players. And how do you tell a, a, an unpaid student hmm. that they can't go to another school when any other student can go, go to another school whenever they want and participate in whatever extracurricular activity they want? It's a, it's a so principle problem that they have um but it's piling you know it's piled onto nil for these coaches and they're going look what we're dealing with i've never had to deal with this before and uh and well, so now you're recruiting a whole different group you're recruiting out of other colleges yeah uh, you're, you're like it depends on where are you as a program right the dukes and kentuckys of the world can cherry pick best talent yeah but. and part of the portal came from coaches complaining in the first place so it used to be when a player wanted to transfer um They'd call their AAU coach and say, hey, I'm, I'm not happy here. Yeah. I want to transfer. Where can I go? Yeah. And I'd like to go to Villanova. Yeah. Uh, we're just picking because we were talking yeah, about yeah, Jay yeah. Wright. So the AAU coach calls Jay Wright and says, hey, my guy's not happy. Um, do you have a spot for him? And he yeah. said, well, Jay'd say, well, I can't talk to him until he leaves. leaves yeah. But, but yeah, we would have a spot. So coach tells the kid. Kid walks into the, his coach's office, says, I'm leaving, and transfers to Villanova. 
And then his coach gets upset saying, that deal was, uh, he was poached off my roster by Villanova. That deal was done. That was a done deal before he walked into my office. Yeah. Well, yes and no. Yeah. I mean, and, and they complained about it, so they came up with this portal. So now they have notice. Like now the player <laughs> has see, to go in. The, now see. they got notice. Right. And nobody likes Make this Make it right. Now. <laughs> now they don't like this. And uh, they just don't like their players leaving. Like they, just they like, like with control. The, well, yeah, just but just like with any business, you know, in your yeah, business, yeah, yeah. retention it's, it's, is important. Yeah, you yeah. want to retain your employees, yeah. um, and they want to retain their rosters, and that's become a hassle for them. Is is they don't know what their roster is going to look like year to year. But if we really went by what you know the NCAA says, this is supposed to be about. It's supposed to be sports played by students enrolled in school. When you listen to him talk, you'd say, well, really how we should do this is everybody should pick their school, um, apply, get admitted, get on campus, and then there should be tryouts. True. You know, yeah. but they're not going to do that. They right, recruit right, right. the talent they want. Yeah. It's just a, it's a weird system that exists nowhere else in the world, but it's worked really well here. So, so Jay, in a world where the, you sign up with a university, right, as an employee, mm -hmm. and you have an employment contract, in many ways that may restrict portal stuff yes yeah th then you could have a non-compete provision <laughs> exactly um it, it, you know certain states don't allow it but but you right. could certainly do that and you know it, it would be neater and cleaner and people say well why should they even go to school then and go you know what they can actually have yeah. that's a restriction you can't have or a condition like you have to be enrolled in school and in good standing yes so if if i'm recruiting you Right. And say, hey, Rick, we think you're going to be a hell of a player here. We'll offer you a two-year contract. We'll pay you 500 a year plus a scholarship. Yeah. But if you uh, if you drop below eligibility standards, we can terminate the deal. Yeah. If you get arrested and convicted of a, yeah, yeah. a, a felony, we can terminate the deal. Yeah. And, you know, and if there's an academic thing in there, then the player might say, all right, I want independent verification of my grades. Like I don't want I don't want you right. somebody at the school able to say well I flunked this course because you want me out right. I want it independently verified so they get it's all kinds of things that they could only lawyers win Jay the lawyers <laughs> always win that's the beauty of America <laughs> that is the, the lawyer always gets paid so what's the future of AAU and and how how worry at you that this money starts really bleeding into teens well it, 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 there's there's right now there's a uh, there's a bill in the state of Texas to allow compensation to high school players. I don't think it's going to leave go it to Texas. Yeah, I don't think it's going to go anywhere. But but I think we're going to see if if it's something that people are making money off of, uh, that schools are making money off of, and Texas high school football makes money. Um, you're going to see the you're going to see people wanting a piece of it. Uh, will it bleed down? It could, um, but I I do think. It'll be a long time before high schools get into that. I do think high school associations are going to have to start saying, do we really want to be enforcing? There was a case in Alabama uh, a couple of years ago that I got involved in. A, a mm. young girl named uh, Maury Davenport played on the United States um, national team. Mm. And she was the first player from Alabama to play as a high school player for the U.S. team since Charles Barkley did it in the uh, late 70s, early 80s. Mm. So she played on a team full of college players. She and a few other high school players, they were only high school players, and, and most of them were college freshmen. And they received a stipend from USA Basketball. Mm. 
and something happened with USA Basketball. They usually checked with all the high school associations as to whether they could give the high school players it, but they sent a check of a few hundred dollars for expenses to these players, and the players cashed checks. And the Alabama Association said, nope, that violates our rules. You're, you're now ineligible to play. And it was just a mistake. Like it was a clear, it was a clerical error. Materiality, none of that mattered. None of it. They, they were iron fisted, and I got involved, and it became a national issue. And she, ultimately, she was reinstated, but it, it was a long slog. I do think rules like that, high schools are going to have to, high school associations are going to have to say, do we really want to be in this business? When what you what you are going to see, interesting, is really good players that are at public high schools or private high schools. Yeah. Uh, may say, well, wait a minute, I can cut an NIL deal while I'm in high school, but yeah. I'll have to go to this prep school. So they may leave their local high school to play at a prep school so they can make money while they're in high school. That's what's because now there's yeah. no, it wouldn't jeopardize their eligibility in college if they've, they've taken NIL money. It used to, that would have been a, the yeah. death knell for your college eligibility. And I guess the guardian, the parents are the ones who can make They're the ones decision, that make that right? decision. So you yeah. can see the 12 year old phenom now getting paid in a. Could be, just like, you know, if you're a great tennis player, you, right? know, you no, can make right. money. You know, same. It's the same principle, but but there's always been this iron-fisted control over sports in America. Uh, oh, that's so interesting. You know, it is interesting. Um, you know, so does that mean that college video games will come back? Yeah. Oh, the, if cool. they can make money off them, they'll come back. Yeah, that's cool. And the, 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 the thing that always struck me was, you know, sort of the... Would you do it again? Would you be the voice again? Oh, yeah, I'd do it in a heartbeat. I mean, it was a pain in the ass to sit in that booth... Uh, for three days but one of the things I had to do back then so this is back right. 12 13 years ago I had to sit in a sound booth for an entire day and say player names <laughs> because the player names weren't the player likeness was identical so yeah. it, it, back then Tyler Hansborough was one of the players so right. North Carolina he's a big 610 uh, white guy yeah. with number 50 on his chest yeah. but to put his name on it, you had to go to the the back of the game where all the names were listed, first name and last name, and you had to plug them in. So I had to say, Tyler, Tyler, Tyler. And then I'd say, Hansbro, Hansbro, Hansbro. And oddly enough, there was a name Hansbro in the game. Like, how many Hansbros did you know back then? So here's a cool thing. We just made an investment on an AI company in uh, in India. Uh, amazing engineers in Literally, I'm, I'm filming a video tomorrow where an avatar of me that looks just like me, they're going to record me talking about something for 10 minutes. It's going to give a speech that is going to look just like me and sound just like me. So we can do this three days now in 10 minutes with our technology. It's amazing. I mean, you wonder someday if, uh, if sports are not as popular because... Somebody can play their own game and have holograms in their house and all. You know, by the way, and by the way, you can you can be in the game. Yeah, exactly. You're like I am now part of the Golden State Warriors. I'm benching Clay Thompson. Steph is going to pass me the ball, and I'm going to have a lot of my friends watching. Yeah, stuff we can't imagine. Who wins the NBA? I thought I kind of thought early on before the playoffs started. I, I thought Phoenix was in good shape to, to do well. What and happened they got to them? Beat. It I don't seemed know. like chemistry. It seemed yeah, like they, they got some, had some Andre injuries and all that. And Maybe Chris Paul's age caught up to him a little bit uh, because he's he, what is he thirty eight now? Uh, it's kind of amazing the career he's had. And I, I feel for him because yeah. he's not you know not gone to the the NBA Finals in his career. It seems odd that that hasn't happened. Um, 
but Boston's looking Boston and and uh, and Golden State. It looks like that's going to be it. And yeah. it's it's hard for me to imagine that with Clay Thompson healthy, who's a stud, and and the way that team just the, how beautifully they play offensively yeah, yeah, yeah. and, the and how they versatile cut. they are, uh, that they're not going to win it. But man, I, I I cannot get enough of the NBA. I yeah, watch it all the time. Me too. Me too. I'll stay up too late. I'm I like, do too. Ruining my freaking sleep. And it, what, what crushes me, Rick, is is I, I you know I'm on one of these committees. You know, it's called the competition committee. And if I had my way, college would go to the NBA rules right now. And it's a better game. It and is a better uh, game. and I think it would be better. Like people would love it. Like when UCLA and Gonzaga played that great game in the Final yeah, Four yeah, last yeah. year. You know, nobody called. Nobody called complaining about. Wait a minute, there's too many points being scored in this thing. And this year, so this year in college, in in the in the Elite Eight, eight teams played. Obviously, um, four four of the eight teams in their Elite Eight game scored 50 points or less. Ugh. Nobody scored over 70. Ugh. Nobody. And we're going. We like this. Uh, like this. Is, and, and when you have eight teams, that's a trend. And uh, um, I mean, is, we had the lowest because, scoring Sweet Sixteen we've had in the last seven years uh, since we went to the freedom of movement it's thing. Is it because the game is not open enough? It's not open enough. Yeah, yeah it, it's more clutch and grab than it's been. Uh, the, the officials would disagree with me, but I think the numbers bear it out. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so you said Golden State? Is that what you? Th- yeah, I would take Golden State now, but but that's not the way I felt at the beginning. Yeah. Did I? You know, it, it, it almost seems like it may be Boston's time. You know, but I, I, I am rooting for, I kind of, I, I, I like both teams, but I wonder what Kevin Durant will think if, uh, if Golden State wins again. Yeah, he's made some interesting choices. Yes. Like, I think he's still the best offensive player in the league. Um, and then, you know, the Kyrie Irving thing, just, I, I, I don't get it. Um, uh-huh. I don't know. It's just a bizarre, yeah. there's a bizarre happening for that organization because I think they're way better than they showed. Yeah. But, but man, I just I just can't get enough of like when I hear, I don't know what it is about basketball. Maybe you know this, but you know you never hear this in other sports where where people think that the players of yesteryear were better than they are today, and they're just not. Like they're not. The, today's player in basketball is better than they've ever been. But you never hear anybody say, "Hey, I'd like to see Tom Brady try this crap against the old Green Bay Packers." You think Vince? <laughs> you, you think he? You think he could could have gotten a pass over Ray Nitschke? Or, or do you think Simone Biles could have beaten Olga Corbett? Forget it. Um, but, but like some of these old timers think that that the game was, you know, the players were better back in the day, and it's absurd. No I don't chance. Get it. No chance. Oh gosh, that is so funny. A couple more questions. So, I know you 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 are not going to take the NCAA job, but let's assume for a second that you're an advisor to the person that takes that job. What what are the one or two things you will tell them? Here's the things you got to get right. Uh, the structure of the organization has to change where there's more uh, pinpoint control over mm. issues. So right now it's a committee-run organization, and the best way to bog something down is give it to a committee. Mm. And I'm, I've sat in these committee meetings, not, not the you know, board of governors or anything, but the competition committee, and it's, it's like rolling a, a boulder uphill. You know, you know it's, nothing's going to happen for a period inertia, of years. Inertia, inertia, Yeah, inertia. by the time something does happen, it should have happened so many years ago, it's not as valuable. I mean, we fought for years over taking the shot clock from 35 to 30. Yeah. And you're like, why are we fighting over this? this is, it should go to 24, <laughs> but we should at least get it to 30. We argued years over that. 
Um, so I, I changed the structure where decisions... Does it need a real CEO then? Yes. Yeah. It needs somebody that knows how to run a business rather than knows how to run a university. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. somebody who is a, a perfectly adept at running the English department should not be running college sports. <laughs> but that's been a presidential thing where they yeah, want their yeah. own in yeah. charge. And we've seen the result of it. Uh, so, so you'd want to change the structure of it. And then uh, they have to deregulate. Yeah. Um, they have their hands in too many things. Yeah. And uh, really all the NCAA should be doing is running championships, uh, number one, and, they, and dealing with initial eligibility. Eligibility issues, that's fine. That's in their wheelhouse. Yeah. They need to get enforcement out of their office, and, and it needs to be run. Uh, enforcement needs to be uh, adversarial. Yeah. And, uh, and, you know, yeah. businesses arbitrate their matters and it works really well uh the courts are always available but a lot of businesses decide yeah, yeah, you know yeah. they're gonna have arbitrate and they they the parties decide on their arbitrators and it's really orderly and that's what the ncaa needs to do with regard to to enforcement it, it, you can't have prosecutor uh judge jury and executioner sitting in the same right. office building it just doesn't work but it comes back to the lawyers winning again right Lawyers always win, <laughs> and that's I love that about America. So let's go back to uh, the NCAA. Let's have a little fun with that. Did the right team win? Yes. Uh, when you know it was interesting when we got down to the final four teams, it was four blue blood programs with Villanova, Kansas, Duke, and Carolina. And as you know so well, like the Duke Carolina rivalry takes all the air out of the room. I mean, yes. it, it, it gets all the attention. And so it kind of reminded me, honestly, of 1983 mm-hmm. when Louisville and Houston played in one semifinal, and that was like the varsity game that everybody wanted to see. Right. And the other game was Georgia-NC State, and nobody really cared about it. And NC State wound up winning the championship. And, and I'd said before the Final Four started, before we got to New Orleans, I'd kind of like to be Kansas right now. Uh, because Justin Moore was injured for Villanova, so Kansas was going to be favored in the game and, and likely winner. But let the Hatfields and the McCoys, you know, sort of have a triple <laughs> overtime game and wear themselves out, and then you know, then Kansas can play them on Monday night, and uh, and it wound essentially wound up happening. Um, I didn't think there was a best team this year yeah. uh, that you could say, okay, that's the team, and if they lose, it's an upset, like there was uh, the year before with Gonzaga and uh, and Baylor. Yeah. Uh, where you'd be shocked if they didn't, you know, make the final. Um, so I, I did think there was kind of an anybody could could pull this off thing in the final four, um, but there was so much going on with Coach K's. Um, yeah. You know, it was going to be his last go around, and then Hubert Davis, his you know his first time there, and yeah. getting Carolina back to that thing, and Jay Wright. Um, yeah, yeah. And then and then Bill Self in Kansas. It was a really cool. Yeah. And then having the fans back. Yeah. No, I mean, that's right. That's probably. It, I didn't realize, Rick. Like, you know, the the thing that really sets college basketball apart is the environments. Yeah. Like the NBA is a better game. It's yeah. played better. It's yeah. uh, it, the rules are better. It's just a better game. But what sets college apart are the environments, and we didn't have those for a year and a half. Yeah. And uh, and I didn't. It, I, I sort of intellectually knew it, but when we got back to New Orleans, then you're going, man, this I is missed what, this. I, I missed, missed it. This. Yeah, <laughs> I missed the buzz and seeing everybody. It was, it was, it, it, God, it added so much to the competition. Uh, it was so great. I got to ask you, uh, 
how, how much did it hurt to lose to UNC twice in the two games that really matter? Well, it didn't hurt me. Um, I'm like I'm so over caring who wins. Um, oh, I always like I always have the broadcast thing really changed changed me huh. in a lot of ways. Like it, it, going to a game as a broadcaster was really the first time in my life I'd gone to a game not caring who wins. And so it's really true. And even like, those games with Coach no, K, you I really didn't, didn't care. care. Um, now afterwards, before and afterwards, you had because of uh, of how unique this season was. Yeah, you had uh, feelings I hadn't had before because it's his last time and, and all that stuff. Um, and and there's obviously a really close connection there for you and for me. But I don't like I. I I have too much respect for the competitors in the game to have a rooting interest. I really yeah. don't care. So when the buzzer went off and Carolina had won, uh, the the last home game was different because um, it was such a uh, an odd feeling, <laughs> like that sort of celebration. And then yeah. uh, there was and everybody a, was there, right? Yeah, everybody was there. There was, it was a sadness thing, but it was a a, a reality yeah. check in a way. Um, so, I, and I didn't know how I was going to feel throughout it. The game, I was fine. Yeah. The before and after, you know, you had really interesting feelings about it. The, the, it was really weird though. So I, I was doing the games at the final four for ESPN international. So I'm a huge star in Latvia right now. And <laughs> my NIL deals in Sweden are off the chain. What would your NIL deal be if you were coming oh, out underwear of high school right now? And ba- with, with my magnificent hair back in the day, you know, shampoo ads, it would have been, it would have been life changing. <laughs> Um, but so when the buzzer went off, you know, Hubert Davis and I worked together at ESPN for a long time. And, and there, I, I'm not just saying this, that there's, there's nobody I like and respect more than him. He, he's, he may be the best father I've ever seen. Oh my. And just a, a, a beautiful human being. And so when, when Carolina won and they were running around celebrating, um, I felt really happy for Hubert. And, and, you know, really respected what Carolina had done uh, to, to, you know, turn their season around and, and be on the cusp of a championship. And then when I watched Coach K walking off, um, you know, it, it, it did hit you that this is the last time. That's the last walk. But oddly enough, I didn't feel any sadness. Hmm. It was like this feeling of gratitude hmm. that um, I've known him since I, I was 17 I met him when I was 17 years old and he started recruiting me. And, you know, how lucky am I that he's been at the place I played for 40 plus years. What is 42? But, but you know, 40 of my my life um, that I've known him. And and for me, um, you know, I, I, I couldn't have been more grateful for, you know, one, to have him in the game that long for what he's done for the game. And then personally what he's done for me. Um, it was a it, like this really, you know, gratitude-filled feeling yeah. of like how lucky have I been? That's awesome. And then he's still going to be like you know him really well. So, like I told a friend of mine recently, like the 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 best thing about him retiring is we get the off-season Coach K all the time. <laughs> Because the, the the in season Coach K is not always easy. No fun. And the uh, he's still fun, but he's not always fun. And, but he's always fun in the off season. So we get that all the time. That'll be kind of fun. I I want to before we get off the the tournament. You know, I think we both were really surprised when Jay Wright decided mm-hmm. to uh, kind of 
move on. Um, you know, he, he really is one of the world class oh, human beings and coaches. And like, you know, I, I I couldn't help but think that unless there's something we don't know, um, which I hope it's not. Did the game change that he said, you know what, I don't want to be a part of the game moving forward? Because that seems so unexpected. I asked him that and, and I said, was, you know, was it the changes we're seeing, um, you know, or was it cumulative, uh, a bunch of different factors that, that hit you? And he said it was cumulative, that it was everything. So the fact that, that things are changing with, uh, with players allowed to be compensated, uh, players able to transfer and be eligible right away, which is providing more leverage to the players to be able to, you know, stay or go. So roster management has become much more, much more challenging. So to do it Jay's way, and he's kind of in a good way, a control freak, right. where, where you build with four-year guys, and, and if one of them blows up, maybe he's only a three-year guy, uh, something like that, um, it, it would be more challenging. But I do think he, he always looked at himself that he would never be a guy coaching into his 70s. Interesting. And both he and his wife, Patty, um, I think this though, was right? planned. He's young, right? Isn't he like 60? He's 60. Yeah, yeah he's, he's, he's almost my age, so I'm 58. And he's, he's healthy and happy. And yeah. um, it wasn't something he had to do, but I think, I think he wanted to walk away while he could still walk <laughs> and, right. uh, and spend time with his family and kind of have another right. life. Now, will he... Um, when next season rolls around, will he get the bug back and maybe want to coach in the NBA or do something yeah. else? I, I, I mean, I don't think even he has said, you know, never will I do this again. But I think he saw that, it, yeah. like he had texted me, I texted him right after I found out, and, uh, and he had said, it's just, it's time for the next generation to take this over. Interesting. And, and by that, I think I took that, kind of like you're saying, that, you know what, I've done this a long time, and uh, and I'm not sure that I want to keep doing it in the way it's going to have to be done. Mm. And uh, and I, I think the pandemic took a little out of them, too, honestly. Mm. Mm. That Villanova got hit hard with protocols. They had a bunch of players. They were right. off and on all the time. One of their players had a bout with it that, that really, mm. really affected them negatively. Um, so that was, I think that was... I think all those things together meant, you know, it's time right now. And, and he knew before the Final Four. And and, and he was like, the season keeps going on. Like, I, you know, right. what are we going to do here? Because they had to get another coach. They knew who they wanted. Um, so it was a difficult yeah. – I think it was a difficult process. You know, he, more than anybody, really built a culture mm-hmm. that became kind of the product, mm-hmm. right? He, he – different than Kentucky or Duke or other programs that rely on other things. For him, it was culture. And I think he realized that his product, which is culture, was going to be very hard to keep. That's my kind of – I think that's exactly right, that with – you know, to be able – I think it's going to be really hard to have a roster and a program without taking transfers. Mm. And so when you have – the transfer thing makes it difficult because I think players over the years wrap their heads around pretty easily that there's going to be talent coming behind them, mm-hmm. that they're going to have to deal with younger players coming in. Mm-hmm. What What is harder for, I think, players to process in college is when you're going to bring in an older guy. 
Like, wait a minute. Like, so you're going to bring an older guy who was a leading scorer on his team last year? Like, what? Wait, whoa, whoa, whoa. You know, and my my son actually, who's a walk on at Wake Forest, um, uh, actually pointed that out to me that, you know, the the team dynamic changes when you bring in an older guy from somewhere else and you're going, wait a minute now. Yeah. You know, and and nobody, they don't say anything, but it's kind of an unspoken, uh, sort of uncomfortable feeling. Um, but it, but it makes it harder. Like, like I think you, you're pointing out to maintain mm. the Villanova culture, you know, that attitude yeah. thing they have, wh- which is phenomenal. Like they had built and I'd said it a million times. That was the best culture in the game. Yeah, I agree. With and, that. and I don't think it was close. Yeah. Um, they might not have had the best players all the time, but they had the best culture. Yeah. And, and that's what I think led to, to all their championships, yeah. both I, league I and you, national. In, in a different way, I'm, I'm struggling with a similar concept in that, you know, the, the future of work has changed. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we were very much back then an in-person culture. And I think we all discovered this flexibility in the pandemic that we don't want to lose. But we relied on reps for young talent that will come in and, like, literally get so much direct and indirect training and in this environment they're not and it's making me question you know in our future are we relying on a different type of talent or do we have to augment it in a different way and because you know our culture won't be the same unless we figure out a way around it well i hadn't hadn't heard it put like that so direct and indirect training like the indirect training that i received as a lawyer of being around great lawyers all Mm. day Mm. uh, and seeing different styles um how how people handled difficulties differently. Some people were, um, you know, they'd run through that wall. Other people just shook it off, and and that was a tremendous benefit to me. So if we were not in person, if it were more like now, where you're remote, uh, you lose that. Mm-hmm. And and that sort of training was invaluable. It wasn't just somebody standing over my shoulder saying, "No, this is how you do it." It was being able to day to day watch how they handled all these situations where where you're learning and processing day to day by how others do it. And there are times when they do it in a way that doesn't fit your style, but that's a learning experience and a valuable one. And that I think you nailed it there with uh, with with Jay Wright and Villanova when you don't have you know those older guys that have been in the program. You're bringing somebody else. You have to condition those guys. Like who's teaching the younger guys when you have to teach the older guys? Right. Um, it's a, it's a, it makes it a, a much more difficult challenge. Yeah. And, and yeah. I can understand what Jay's point of view there. So to wrap up college basketball, at least uh, today, so we, you have almost like, you know, Kay, Roy, uh, Jay, that, you know, they're all kind of leaving the game. And, you know, I, I know you, we think Bill Self is the next gen. Who else is in that group of coaches that are seasoned enough, experienced enough, they're going to have to count, you know, kind of, carry the mantra oh, there, you think. there are still so many you know great coaches whether it's uh john calipari at kentucky or mark few at gonzaga or uh tony bennett at virginia uh, mick crone at ucla there are standard bearers in the game i i, I felt like jay wright was going to be sort of the next yeah, coach k yeah, where he yeah. was going to be the guy that everybody looked toward um but he decided to step away i'm not worried about the depth of talent yeah. uh in the in the coaching ranks it's just sort of the the you know, when when Wooden retired, I grew up in Los Angeles, so I was a huge UCLA fan. I was in fifth grade when he retired. He was 65, yeah. and I thought he was the oldest man that had ever lived. <laughs> and you know, now Coach K is 75, and we're going. You're leaving? You know, it it it, it almost like defies logic that 
you know, Bayheim's in his mid seventies, uh, Leonard Hamilton, Jim Laranaga, just in the yeah. ACC. Yeah. These yeah. guys are going a lot longer. And what that has done is, uh, has, uh, sort of covered over, um, so many younger guys that are really good that haven't had the the runway to yeah. show it, yeah. and and That's they true. haven't gotten the 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 attention for it's it. A little bit like tennis with Nadal and yes. Federer and Djokovic. You know, it's like a skip generation of great tennis players we never met. Well, it's funny you say that. I mean, I met a I met a tennis player the other day named Kevin Anderson who who just retired. Uh, South African guy played college tennis at Illinois. Andy Roddick introduced me to him at a golf tournament, and um, and I honestly I had not heard of him. Yeah, and he's played that. in the Wimbledon final and the U.S. Open final. Like I used to know every tennis player, but because of the point <laughs> yeah. you just made that Djokovic yeah. and and Federer and Nadal have yeah. dominated the sport so much, um, you know that's that's the exact right analogy for yeah. or comparison for the runway. Yeah. That, that a lot of these great college coaches that are younger haven't had because of yeah, uh, the big shots that have stayed around What so are long. three names of guys that are in their 30s that we will be talking about you know, in, in 25, 30 years? 30s. There may not be that many in their 30s yeah. that, that are head coaches yet. You know, John Shire is one of them. Um, yeah. He's going to be great. Like, I think he's great now, but he's going to prove it. Um, you know, you've got a, you know, I think Nate Oates at Alabama, mm-hmm. if he sticks around, is going to be absolutely fabulous. There's a, a young coach named Todd Golden who just took the Florida job, mm. who was, uh, he played at St. Mary's, um, and he was at University of San Francisco for the last six, seven years and, you know, took that program to the, the tournament. Right? Yeah. Well, I mean, when, when you and I were, were college age, you know, San Francisco was one of the top programs in the yeah, country, yeah, that maybe. tiny little place. You know, they had, uh, you know, Quentin Daly and that's Winford right, Boynes right. and Bill Cartwright and all those guys. They were number one in the country. And then the program got I put so, put yeah. on probation and, and kind of went away for a long time. But Todd is really good and uh, really cool. talented. So he, he's cool. one of the guys I put at the top, yeah. top level. All right. So three years ago, Jay, you and I were hanging out uh, in – Gosh, how has the world changed in three years? You know, think about a pandemic, a war, world with inflation, you know, George Floyd. Um, just seems like the world is really, really different, not in a good way in the last no. three years. What, what, is, what is your sense of where are we? What are you hopeful? What do you think? I'm a hopeful, optimistic person, but I am not feeling optimistic about our current landscape and whether you're liberal conservative moderate that's not the issue the issue is our ability to confront truth Mm. and that's bothersome that we can't seem to agree on basic facts Mm. and i think if you asked any female is is there equality among the genders the answer of any female would say no no but if you ask some of those females is there racial equality and some would say well yes true you're like wait a minute right. like so it's hard to see that there's racial inequity in our society and it's systemic and in many cases it's, it's embedded in law but but we're quick to say that but yeah but we got a long way to go for gender equity mm. 
Um, we just can't seem to agree on those things. We can't agree on, on like our media has become, um, ha- has become untrustworthy mm. and we're, we're siloed. So if you're a conservative, you watch a certain thing. If you're a liberal, you watch a certain thing. If you're moderate, you watch a certain thing. And, and we're not getting, we're being told what we want to hear in my view. I agree with you and, 100%. and that's not good for, it's not good for a rational debate yeah. and to challenge each other's ideas and to, yeah. um, to reach a, a consensus as to what we, what, what's best for us. Yeah. Uh, it's really, it's concerning. Yeah. And it, and I don't know, I, I, I've been struggling a lot with this, the, you know, the, the events in Texas two days ago and like you realize that we keep repeating and not making the progress that we as a country deserve to make. And, and you go back to this, the, the system, you know, and I, in some ways this two party political system, there, there's only one thing that both parties agree on, which is there should be no third party, yeah. <laughs> so, like, which is scary. But yet then therefore, you know, the primaries are polarizing the people that get elected, you know, don't, don't can't see the other side of the argument. So I, I like you, I'm a very optimistic person and I think the future is going to be bright and humans will figure it out. But I, I have not felt this um, powerless. I agree. Time. It's almost like we have to hit bottom before we wise up. And, you know, like you're, you're out front on so many things, but on the technological front, I find it fascinating that, you know, we're, we're approaching having autonomous vehicles. Mm. So self-driving cars and trucks. If there's one death in that, it can scuttle the whole thing. Right. Right. N- not, not there are 60,000 deaths on the highway. If we can cut that in half with autonomous vehicles, right. you know, they said, no, if there's yeah, one, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's going to set That's it very back. true. But we've got, but we've got school shootings and gun violence like crazy. Yeah. And we seem to, we seem to think, well, what are we going to do? Did you and, see that stat that the uh, main cause of kids' death now is our shootings? It's, it's, it's sickening. It's, it's beyond, it's beyond our, like my ability to process it anymore. To, to even to the point, Rick, where, you know, there are so many of these things now that there is a, a numbness to it yeah. after a while, but, you know, now you have to check yourself when you say, okay, do I, do I put out something that says my, mm-hmm. my deepest condolences, thoughts and prayer. And then, and then you're going to get back. How about some action, hmm. you know, and, and it causes a fight, hmm. you know, expressing a, 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 a heartfelt <laughs> emotion right. is going to start a fight. And you know, that's where we are now. Yeah. Um, you know, Pre- former President Obama put out something the other day about, um, well, I, th- I think it, I think it went something like, um, while we are grieving, you know, the, the tragedy in, in Texas, you know, we also need to mark the, the, mur- the two years since the murder of George Floyd. And he got pilloried for it. And you're like, really? Yeah. Like, really? Like, we can't express. Like we, we, we can't, there's no duality. There's no nuance to anything. Right. Um, it's, it's really, really sad and saddening. Yeah, it, it is. And, you know, I, th- I think the, I, I, I feel for our youth, um, because, you know, you see it on the stats, the, the amount of young people in our country with depression, mm-hmm. with suicidal thoughts, with things like that. This is, this is, this is something we need to address, but 
um, I, I don't. I mean, it's leadership. At the end of the day, it all comes down to leadership. And yes, and and you know that's fractured too because everyone has their own constituencies, mm-hmm. and but but it, you know I'm not sure that like I'm not savvy enough to know. Okay, in the '60s or '70s, mm. uh, you know, people like to say, well, politicians may have disagreed, but they got along. You know, and they compromise. I'm, maybe they did or maybe. didn't, <laughs> but I don't know. I, I, yeah. I'm not savvy enough to be able to compare that to now. But I've never had this feeling that I have yeah. now of of helplessness that yeah, we can't turn to our government for yeah. uh, for action or answers that we're going to. Um, and it's common be, sense be compromise. Of. Like you know, right. I, wherever you fall out in the in the in the gun argument, and I don't own a gun, but I'm not against guns. Like, but why? Do you have to be 25 year olds to rent a car? Right. Because your brain maturity says that until then you're a knucklehead. Yeah. Right. And you know, especially boys. Yeah, you can buy AK-47, we, we go a lot but slower. not a beer. Right. Exactly. Yeah. But yet, you know what? We can buy a gun at 18. Like this is this is common sense, right? Mm-hmm. Why? Why? And then we can't buy a beer at 20 until 21. But yeah, we can buy a gun at 18. That's safer than a rental car. Yeah, last you have to question. register your car, you register your dinner tonight. but you don't have to um, register your gun. I mean, it, it, one there of the things I, things I really that, you, that just don't make any sense. Kind of admire. Right, let's get out of this. Topic. Of <laughs> let's go back to hoops. It's a little <laughs> better. Seem to be having fun with the things you do. I, I, you know, I'm sure you have bad days like we all do and all that. But you have such a such a, such energy about you in in all of this good or bad you're arguing or not arguing is so much fun what is it that you know your perspective on life that allows you to live that way probably my wife honestly um i married uh, a, a woman i met in college her name's wendy and she has never had a bad day um her she she says i choose to be happy hmm. so when when She's just like you and me that you have negative outcomes and things happen, mm. but she doesn't dwell on the negative. She looks to the positive side of everything. And if she's going to do something, she's going to enjoy it. And uh, I'm not as good at that as she is, but she's made a, uh, an incredibly positive impact on me in that regard. Mm. And then the other part of it, Rick, like is, you know, when you mentioned sort of the arguing thing, um, you know, I, I think before I went to law school, uh, you and I could could have a spirited discussion on something, and if you kicked my ass in the discussion, it would hurt my feelings. Mm. And if somebody really disagreed with me, it hurt my feelings. Mm. And after having gone through through law school, where you you have spirited debate, and you realize, okay, that was a really good thing. If 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 somebody you know handed me my backside in a discussion, well, I learned something. And I, I, I was, you know, I'm grateful that my perspective changed or that my position was was stress tested. So I still believe in what we were arguing over, um, but but it doesn't affect my relationship with you. Right. Um, Argument is about the idea, not the person. Exactly. Right. And, and for a lot of people, myself included, that's a big hurdle to get over. Right. And so when when I, I can I can have differences on policy with you know, college sports yeah. doesn't mean I don't love it. Yeah. And I, I actually take the perspective that because I love it so much, I'm, I'm willing to point out when we're not doing what we should be doing. And I think those are positives. Yeah. Um, some people don't take it that way. Most people do, I think now, yeah. uh, and, and see that, that it's not about, I'm not critical of people as much as I am of policy. Yeah. 
Um, and, and, you know, who's got a better job than me? Um, I get to go to basketball games and, and like the hardest part of my job is getting on an airplane. That's not hard. Um, I've got a great job and I love every minute of it. The only, the only thing in my job now that is causing me to say, I, I can see the finish line is, is the amount of travel. Um, when, and this is, this was a failing of mine too. When I was traveling, when my kids were younger, uh, I had this mistaken, uh, belief that, okay, I'm leaving the house and I'm going to be gone for six days, but my wife's okay. You know, my wife's okay. She's, uh, she's got the kids. She's running around with this, that, and the other. When I leave now on a road trip, I'm leaving her by herself. Mm. And that's a different feeling than it used to be. Mm. So that's not going to continue for, like, I'm not going to be doing this when I'm 70. I know that. Mm. Uh, now, how long? I mean, we'll go contract by contract and see what happens. But I, I, I see myself more, not at age 60, but more in the Jay Wright thing of, right, right. you know, I need to be mindful that I'm not in this. This what is not about next? me. What, 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 what would be one thing? I don't know. I really don't know. Yeah. Um, I've never thought about it that way. I've never, like when somebody might ask, you know, you hear people ask others, where do you see yourself in five years or 10 years? Or what, what, what's your goal? You know, what's yeah. the destination? You know, what's after this? I've always done the job that I've had. Right. And I, my dad used to tell me that. He said, if you want, to, if you want a job, do the one you've got. Yeah. Um, you know, if, you're all, if you got your eye on the next thing, you're probably not doing the job you have right. like you should. And so I've, like, I've never right. wanted for more than I'm doing now. Right. But if something came my way, I would consider it. And it, I know if I left this, there, it would open up a whole new avenue of opportunity to do other things, whether it's charity work or whatever. I mean, right. I, I know I'll be busy. Huh. Um, I'm not just going to play golf all day, although I'd like to. You'd like to. Um, What's I, your handicap? I got down uh, to a 4.8. I was up around 7 and playing, you know, not playing. Wow. Well. Jay, that's and the I worked on it. Well, the pandemic saved me. My back was killing me. <laughs> In the pandemic, I I, yeah, no I worked travel. on yeah I worked on my back. I did all these exercises and got well, better shape. And uh, well, you heard it here first. Jay will be a free agent soon enough. So you soon know, enough, I can be your agent. In the near so future, if you but, if you, but, if, you uh, if you want Jay, but I, I actually I want to close out with a thought. You you pointed uh, to your wife and, and all that she does for you and how important it is who who we choose as our life partner right? and, and the influence that that person has on our life uh, in. You know, and, and the gift that we get when we have somebody who makes us better. And, you know, I feel the same way. So, Jay, I can talk to you forever. And you're not going to have a glass of wine now and a big steak. Just and, one? And enjoy. I hope not. <laughs> so, uh, but thank you for this. This thank is awesome. You, things. I learned a ton. And you're a huge fun. inspiration to me. I hope you know that. You're a good man. Thank you. Thank you. Very few things as fun as talking to Jay Billis about basketball and about life. Here are the three things I took away from our conversation. First is this whole concept of the value of indirect training. Jay talks about how valuable it was for him to be around all sorts of people that were interconnected to his job. I wonder, in this new world where we really value our flexibility, how are we going to get that indirect training? I think it's upon all of us that are running organizations to figure out how to create that value in a virtual world. Number two, I love when he talks about the difference between good games and close games and how people don't understand the difference. It reminds me of one of the true keys of success. 
to focus on the inputs and not the outputs. The outputs are the close games. The inputs are the good games. And third, I just think that there's so much to unpack around the uniqueness and richness of long-term relationships. Don't get me wrong. I love making new friends at this stage of my life. But those long-term relationships have with them a richness that is hard to compare. To be happy for others on their success because you have understood their journey is something we should all treasure. No relationship more important than that person that we choose to spend the rest of our lives with. Have an optimistic day. Thank you for listening. Rick shared his three things, but we want to know your takeaways as well. Tweet at Rick Elias to let us know your thoughts on this conversation. And be sure to check out additional content, videos, and more at our blog, threethings.redventures.com. Thanks for listening.